Welcome to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast with Darren Mitchell. If you're a sales letter looking to take your leadership to a whole new level, then this is the podcast for you. We'll be exploring tips, techniques, and strategies to help you take your leadership to the exceptional level and allow you to enjoy more money, more meaning, and better sales results. Welcome back to the Exceptional Sales Leader Podcast and a very warm welcome to the podcast, Mr. Ryan Staley, all the way from Illinois in the United States. How are you, my friend? Good, man. Good. Keeping warm here. As we were talking before, we're on opposite seasons, right? Uh, in the middle of winter right here, in the middle of an epic snowstorm, which is just kind of standard standard January weather for us, you know? It is, and and as I was saying also before we press record, we were supposed to have a really hot summer, and today in Melbourne, it's a reasonably good day, not a cloud in the sky, but it's been raining cats and dogs for the last couple of weeks. In fact, there's parts of Victoria that are now under floodwaters, so um, it's uh, normally bushfire season, but this time it's uh, it's floodwaters, unfortunately. Yeah, flood flood's tough, man. Floodings are tough. It's tough yeah. to do it. Well, I've always wondered what happens to the snow once it melts. So you must have, you've got to have some pretty good infrastructure to take all that totally. snow away, right? We're dialed in, man. You know, like there is, uh, I'm trying to think, I heard a story where it snowed like, a, I think it was like an inch in Atlanta. And um, there was, there's mass chaos that ensued. It was like a zombie apocalypse. People were leaving their cars, like abandoning their cars on the highway. Um, anyways, it was one of the funniest stories I ever heard because like, that doesn't even happen if there's like three feet of snow here. So one inch <laughs> is uh, apparently a deal breaker in the South. So it all depends on what you're used to though, man. It all depends on what you're used to. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So mate, hey, thanks for jumping on the uh, on the podcast. This will be a, a great conversation. You are the founder and CEO of Whale Boss, uh, been in sales for a number of years and um, have got some pretty good results on the board. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about AI today and, and what AI is promising to bring 2024. Uh, you're also a podcaster. Yeah, man. I got a show called The Scale-Up Show where I interview tech CEOs. And then as of about, I don't know, maybe it was like three, four months ago, uh, I started being on other people's shows and got a lot of requests for content. So I started dropping like just strategies, frameworks, and tactics on on how to use AI in sales and in business overall. So uh, that's been really well received. So I'm going to continue to lean into that in terms of uh, 24. Sensational. Because I know that uh, talking to a lot of people, uh, there are many people that are scared witless. Um, and I didn't say scared, S-I-T-less, <laughs> scared witless on what AI promises to uh, to bring or or what, what the impact of AI is going to be. So I'd be really interested in your, in your thoughts and what you're seeing in the marketplace around AI as well. So it'd be a great conversation. Yeah, that so it's it's just interesting you bring that up because uh, I because of the podcast I got exposed to AI in November of 2022, right? I think it was November. Actually, might have been October, yeah. and this is right when Dolly came out. And one of the guests I had on my show, his name is Chris Savage. He's the CEO of Wistia, which is like I don't know, they were like 50 million at the time, a video SaaS company. And effectively, he's like, "Hey, have you heard of Dolly?" And I'm like, I'm like, what is that? Dolly? What, what the heck is that? Right. Um, which is funny because it's so common now. And he's like, yeah, it's really cool. You just type in some words and then it creates pictures for you based on the words. He's like, it's so easy. It's AI. And I'm like, all right. I'm like, so I tried it out and with my daughter that weekend, she's 10 at the time. And, and we're like, okay, this is a, this is kind of cool. Right. It was B1. Right. So it was 
very mediocre, but still you could see the the possibilities there, right? And so I'm like, okay, this is really interesting. So then that got me on the OpenAI kind of uh, radar, if you will, in beta. And so then ChatGPT came out and I'm like, all right, I'm going to try this. I'm going to stress test this to see like how good it really is yeah. at what it's doing and, and how accurate it is, or is this just something that spits out information fast, right? So Darren, what I did is I asked it a question that took me, I don't know, maybe a, a decade of meetings to truly deeply understand at its core, right? I yeah. asked it one question. And that it actually answered that question back at like what I would say 95% accurate. Wow. And so that was something that scared the living bejesus out of me, right? Because uh, I was both scared and really excited. And I'm like, okay, this is insane. Like that took me a really long time to learn and it's hitting this out instantly. I'm like, so I remember I had a talk with my wife. I'm like, this is like really scary, like how good this is, because this is going to change everything. Yeah. And um, so I had like kind of two options that, that I could take in my mind. I, I go either acted like an ostrich and stuck my head in the sand and ignored it. Right. Um, or it got ran over by it. Right. Or yeah. I could lean into it and look at, you know, how I could help. Uh, my community, the, the sales profession, the market, everybody in the revenue kind of generation sphere like get adapted to this so they don't get replaced by it. And, and that's what I've been really heavily focused on over the last year, because um, one of the biggest stressors in life is income uncertainty, I believe. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, I like to help as many people become superhuman as possible to avoid that. And, and that's a really interesting point because uh, depending on what you read, there are some out there that say that AI is going to take over the world that people's roles are going to be made redundant. But my own belief, and I'm, I'm interested in your take on this, is that salespeople can, in particular, use AI to their advantage to speed up the process to be more refined in terms of what they offer to the marketplace um, and to deliver more credibly to the marketplace. So use it as an enabler versus being replaced by it. What's your What's your thoughts on that? I think both are true, right? So yeah. I think the bottom third of salespeople are probably going to get replaced. Okay. Um, I, and, and I think at the same time, the ones that really embrace it and get really good at it will multiply what they do two, three, four X, right? And that's that's just right now where we're at, probably two X. And we're in the infancy of the public adoption level of this right now. So yeah. Like, I mean, literally we could just still use GPT-4 as it is without any changes for the next 10 years and still be unlocking use cases. Yeah. And so that's how powerful it is. And this stuff isn't sitting still. It, it keeps evolving. There's new versions that keep coming out. We've had, you know, eight years of innovation effectively in four months. I mean, and that's coming from um, you know, the, the CEO of Microsoft. This isn't some random person making this up, right? So, uh, So I think... You know, there's a tremendous opportunity and risk with this. Uh, you know, when anything has the capability to become smarter than us as humans, then you have to take it really, really seriously, not just short term and long term. And I think that's why some people have concern about the futures of it taking over the world. And you and you look back in that uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger movie Terminator. <laughs> yeah, think about yeah, Terminator Two with Skynet. You know, you got to be careful. That's actually shit. coming coming true. <laughs> That's why when I, you know, when I, when I'm in chat GBT, I always have good manners. I say, please. And thank you. You know, um, actually you, I'm going to tell you a funny story. I was just telling my wife about it. this is cool. This has, this is like 
this is comedic value, if you will. Um, <laughs> I was using Google Bard, right? And that's that's Google's version of it. The first version of it I thought was terrible. It was just an abomination, right? The newest release is is actually pretty solid from some use cases that I've identified. But this is a funny one. So um, I had a work before and I had it pull up research based on a LinkedIn profile, um, give it, summarize it, basically identify their disk profile, do all this research, right? And I leveraged it and I loved it. And then it, one day it just stopped working. And so I was pissed, right? And so it, I, I put it in there and it says, you do not have the ability to, I do not have the ability to do this. I'm just a large language model. And I go, that's com that's completely wrong. You have the largest data set of anybody in the world. You need to figure this out. And you know what it said? It's like, yeah, sorry about that. I guess I do have the information. Then it gave it to me. Oh, really? Like, so I had an adult temper tantrum with wow. an AI and then it generated like the content I wanted. Okay, then it spit out the content and I'm like, I'm like, come on, I know you could do better than this, right? And it's like, yeah, you're right, I can. And then it did better than it. Wow. So like, there's ways where, because if you think about it, like, and I was, I was thinking about this, let's try to wrap my head around it. I'm like, okay, I had an adult temper tantrum with something that's completely technically orientated, right? It's all tech, it has no feelings. But if you think about it, it's trained on just trillions of points of data that's all based on human nature. Yeah. And what we do. So it's going to have elements of personality, biases, everything, um, unique things that we haven't even unlocked yet. And that's one of the things I haven't talked to this about anybody publicly. I'm going to put a post on it on LinkedIn, but I just thought it was funny because I was talking about it today. I'm like, I literally had an adult temper tantrum with AI and it worked. So anyways. <laughs> so pretty soon we're not going to necessarily have to talk to other human beings. We can just talk to Google. <laughs> Chat GPT. Yeah, you can have an adult temper tantrum, right? <laughs> now, there, there, truth be told, there's times where I have also tried it and it does not work, right? Yeah. Um, and it just keeps stonewalling you. And, I, and I'll even go, like, come on, you've done this for me before. Yeah. Do it again. And then it, it will do it. So sometimes you have to you have to coax it a little bit, right? You have to, you know, grease grease the wheels a little bit, grease the skids or whatever you want to say to make, make it happen with the old AI when it gets a little resistant. Well, that's why I just like human beings, you have to be courteous, right? You have to be ethical and nice. Which I am 99% of the time. It was just that one person. I'm like, you know what? This is BS. Like, you know how to do this. You've done it before. Don't, don't give me the thing. You don't have the data. You're freaking Google, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Interesting story. Interesting. So if you go back, Gabba, back a bit, you've you've had a pretty long history in, in sales. Um, love to know, just for the benefit of the listeners, a little bit of background that led you to create uh, uh, Well Boss, and yeah. I know you you mentioned that late twenty twenty two, you got introduced to AI, and we'll sort of that's the next chapter. But love to fill in the gaps a little bit about um, just your background and what led you to create Well Boss and the Well Selling System. Sure, yeah, man. So I'll I'll give like I'm a high D in terms of disk profiles. So I'm very <laughs> results orientated. So I'll give the abbreviated bullet point version. Uh, without tons of narrative in, it's like whenever I listen to anybody like in on a podcast or anything, like there's a couple of things I always look for. It's like, are they a good person? And like, what results have they created? And, you know, are they someone I should be taking advice to? So I guess that's three things, right? So just to give you a context, like I've had every single job up and down the sales chain from like, when I first started in college, I had door to door. I worked in like a boiler room environment where I was making $250 a day. I had outside sales in mid-market. And then eventually progressed into leadership and, you know, started from turning around an underperforming office 
And then I grew an enterprise team from zero to 30 million in ARR and five and a half years with only four salespeople. We had no marketing, no SDRs or anything like that. So I had to get really creative on that. Um, and so like, that's kind of my journey. I, I've, I've failed, you know, I've gotten fired before. And every time I've gotten fired, usually that's when the best things in my life happen shortly after or in a period after. So if anybody's going through some hard times right now, um, that's something that just always to keep in mind. Yeah. Uh, and so what happened was it was actually March 30th in 2020. Uh, I remember this like very vividly. I started working on my brand and really started to focus on like basically expanding what I was doing because I got to the point where my employer kept raising my quota um, as a, a revenue leader, even though I was a partner, right? I was a partner in the company and an investor. Um, so they kept jacking up the numbers and the expectations, which I get it, right? The number's never going to go down. Um, but then at the same time, they kept paying me less, right? It was very asymmetrical. And so I got kind of frustrated with it. And I, I was looking, not looking for a job, but I wanted to start positioning myself and, and working on my personal brand, right? So I started doing that. And it was March 30th. And they're like, hey, I, all of a sudden I got an invite on my calendar. Now, granted, I probably wanted to leave this company for a while before this, but I got, I got a calendar invite from my boss and um, it was the head of HR on the call and the CEO. I'm like, oh, this is kind of, this isn't really good, right? Um, and so anyways, uh, they pulled me in. They're like, hey, you have to stop anything that you're doing, working on outside of work. And granted, I wasn't consulting. I wasn't doing anything, right? I think I, yeah. I created like a mini course or something like that yeah. um, based on some of the things I did. And they're like, you have to stop that. Otherwise, you know, you can't work here anymore. And this is March 30th. So in the States, this was right when everything shut down literally two weeks prior. Yeah. So it was like a shit show, right? Very heightened uncertainty. Okay. And by the way, they wanted me still to come in the office with my team, even though things were shut down. Of so course I did. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, um, March, we get it. It was, yeah, I'm like, okay, this is weird. This is bad timing, whatever. Then we were working in, and effectively we got a deal in for a million dollars in profit. Um, the next morning. And it took some finagling because once again, this was a client that had a lot of retail locations, a lot of uncertainty, but we got it in. And then I got another calendar invite on my calendar later that day. And I'm like, all right, this is probably not good again. Right. Um, and they're just like, oh yeah, we had a board meeting last night and, and you can't work here anymore. Right. <laughs> so, so after the million dollar deal. Yeah, after the million dollars in profit, not not yes. million dollar deal, million dollars in profit, yeah. right? So, anyways, um, you know, it was kind of funny because we had my wife and I had different reactions. I was like, "This is freaking awesome!" I finally, you know, I'm out of here. My wife's like, "This is terrible timing. What are you doing?" Blah blah. blah. I'm like, "We'll figure it out, right?" Yeah. And so then what happened was I started talking to founders and CEOs. Um, just kind of actually some through my network and some that I got referred to. And, you know, they're just like, well, what are you doing? Where did you come from? What'd you do? I'm like, oh, this is what I worked on. This is what I'm, you know, and I'm thinking. In, and I'm like, I grew that company from zero to 30 million, that division. And, you know, we didn't really have any resources. We did this. I'm like, well, I want to learn how to do that. Right. Mm -hmm. And and so that got me into working with tech companies and CEOs and really consulting them and, and helping them integrate that. And then, like I said, about a year ago, my focus shifted on really how to integrate AI, like basically uh, help revenue professionals with AI enablement so yeah. they could 200% or 2x their output um, while actually creating 
you know, 10 to additional 20 hours a week of free time based on leveraging AI with what they do for tools that cost pennies on the dollar. So yeah. that's that's what I've been focused on, man. And that's how it was created. Love it. Now, I know there'll be people listening to this who are thinking, wow, you've grown the business from zero to $30 million. Was that annual recurring revenue or monthly recurring revenue? Uh, it M- was... MRR or AR? Yeah, it, was, it wasn't It was 30 MR. It was 30 AR. Uh, yeah. Okay, so yeah. that's still a big number. 30 million annualized recurring revenue. Yeah. With four salespeople and not a lot of marketing budget, right? So the logical question before we jump into what you do now is... What are some key tactics or key strategies, and how much of luck did that play in that in that opportunity? Because there's a lot of people out there that, with all the resources available to them, are still struggling to get their to get their number. Yeah. Right? So, what was it? Was there anything looking back that you did, or your team did, or the environment you created that enabled that to happen? Yeah, well, it was interesting because like I didn't really have a budget. Like when I first started that group, they they're like, "Oh, you could hire one person." <laughs> right? And and then I there's other folks that uh, I could leverage within that group as well to to like of my old team um for that. So, like I don't know, maybe 20% of their time. So, I didn't really have that um we didn't get our first big deal, really, really big deal until about 18 months later. Okay. However, we did get some, some ones that kind of formulated and kept us alive while we were building that, that big enterprise engine. And so I think there's, there's a couple of things that were really, really critical to make that happen. The first one was we had like relentless, or I did at least, um, relentless, undetermined focus on really, really moving up market and making that work. Yeah. Okay. So that was like the foundational element. And then, you know, like in terms of the go to market and how we approached it, something that was really, really critical is I'm like, all right, if we need to, because I, I, if you think about it, that there's, it was a very interesting model. I had to get really large revenue deals with very little people and very little resources. So the only way that I could make that happen um, is, you know, get some early success, right? To, to keep us alive while we built the pipeline and then constantly find a way to grow the size of the deal and shorten the speed of it without adding any inputs in terms of people, right? Yeah. So I had to keep getting more and more effective. So one of the cool things that we did that I actually love is most people focus on their ideal customer profile, right? Um, we focused on our perfect customer profile. And this was something that I created. And so effectively what we did is we we looked at what are the top 20% of our biggest customers, our, our biggest deals that we've ever gotten as a company, the fastest to close. And then what were, what were the top 20% of the biggest losses that we had, right? Mm-hmm. And from there, what we did is we pulled out patterns of opportunities that existed that were kind of like diamonds in the rough that were hidden there that nobody really focused on. And I'll give you an example. So one of our key verticals that we we hit on was the legal and professional services vertical. <clears throat> the good thing about that is in the past, we'd spent all these money, these resources, we go to all these events and the average deal size was about 20 or $30,000 a month, right? In MRR. However, what you'll see is those deals took 12 months to get. So let's say 25K MRR, 12 month sales cycle, right? I found this hidden outlier within retail, uh, which we actually got a deal 
in one of the other offices. And it was like one of those, those deals that wasn't expected. And yeah. um, basically it was a hundred thousand dollars a month in MRR and it closed in nine months. And I'm like, what, how come we're not focusing as a company on retail more? This is like, this is insane. This is a really good outlier. And like, oh, well, we've called on some retail, but I'm like, why do we have all this money pouring into these other verticals that are supposedly sexy verticals? Yeah. Whereas we got like, we got the supermodel you know, of deals sitting right here, staring us right in the face. And we're not like 100% zeroed in on that. And they're like, that's a good question. And so we started to focus on that. And I did that with a couple other uh, verticals as well, because we had a horizontal solution so we could sell to anybody. And I see this all the time. There's companies I've worked with that have like 12 different verticals they work in, but like 87% of their revenue comes into three, but yeah. they still treat them all the same. So it's like, so anyways, there's a method that that I use that, that basically doubled our deal size every year through iterating on this process and also 100X our largest deal. That was the second. And then the third is when it came to customer acquisition, we got really, really creative. And there's some updates I would do to this, knowing what I know now, having a podcast, having AI, all this stuff. But we leverage referrals quite a bit, right? Mm -hmm. And actually help companies implement referral-led growth solutions. Uh, and at the same time, what we did is we leveraged an event-led growth strategy where we would target basically the board members of an association of a specific function and the niche that we really targeted. And then we would go all out on getting them as a customer. And then because they had you know, brand authority within that association or group, and because they were on the board, everybody respected them. So it was like a big domino. Once that got knocked over, it got so much easier to get those other companies in that, that vertical. If I knew what I knew now, Darren, what I would do is I would leverage a podcast as a pipeline approach where basically you interview your prospects on your podcast, right? You convert them into opportunities. And then you also create a content machine for more of like a brand authority, content-led growth approach as well. So that's kind of how we approached it, if that makes sense. And there was a lot more in terms of like how we orchestrated the sales systems within there and everything like that. But those are three key elements that come to mind. Love it. Love it. And then was that the genesis then for, I guess, the whale selling system that you now you now talk about? Yeah. I mean, that was, so like, I don't, it's, it's interesting. Like I'm, I'm literally thinking about this right now. I'm in the process of going through a rebranding because like that, I was always just focused on like enterprise moving up market. And that's one of my core skill sets, but I'm really heavily focused on the AI piece just because I see it as just like an insane multiplier in terms yeah. of happiness, focus, energy, um, and then just revenue for companies. So um, the whale selling system, really what it is, is it was like a, I created, it was like a course and a methodology for enterprise selling that integrated, not just the sales process. Um, like you'll see uh, methodologies like medic or other ones talk about the process, but it was also integrating the emotional orchestration of the different people in the accounts um, not just from the leveling and business yeah. side, but like what's the emotion that drives them, how to get them to politically interact with each other and work through that too. So there's a lot more human psychology integrated than um, anything else that's out there right now. I know there's a lot of um, there's a lot of companies that uh, go and sell methodologies and and they're very well they're they're effective, but companies almost rely too heavily on the methodology and not necessarily consider some of the personality types and what sort of characteristics do we need 
within the organization to then, I guess, accelerate the sales methodology? Because it does take a combination of both. And it sounds like what you've done is created a combination. Yeah. I mean, logic is how people make decisions and emotions yeah. creates actions, right? So yeah. you got to have both the end and the end. And it, it was funny, man, when I looked at it, like everything was process and internal driven, right? To make sure people did the process. It was like a manufacturing play for sales, right? Where they were I'm like, there's the whole client side of it. It's like these people react completely different just because you do the same thing over and over. It doesn't match. Anyways, I can go on and on about it. But. <laughs> so fast forward to late 2022 and uh, you're introduced to AI, artificial intelligence. Um, what was it that, I don't know, you've sort of given me a bit of a description on the on the Google. Um, what do you call the Google? What was And there was Dolly. Bard. Was it was Bard. Yeah, that one was Bard. Bard. Um what was it that intrigued you to the point where now you're spending a lot of your time on, on AI? What, what was it that, um, was it like a vision you had? Was it an epiphany? Was it something like, you know, I'm not quite sure about this. Let me just investigate it. And then over time it's become, Oh my God, what have we got here? Or what was it? And and why are you so enthused with, with the AI component, particularly for salespeople? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of different opportunities with it. I mean, like I've, I've, point like a team's acronym where if you look at the use cases of the effect on it, it could be time, execution, acumen, money, or skills, right? Those are kind of like the core five that I see. It's funny, I, before before we jumped on today, I was just writing some stuff down because I'm like, there's got to be, there's there's multiple ways to look at it. And so here's the kind of framing up for sales folks and sales leaders. And I'll give you like two core examples, one for more of like a, a sales rep perspective, and then one more from like a, a leadership revenue yeah. leadership perspective. So if you look at it and then I'll look at how to bring it all together. So it's kind of like the three elements. So from like, let's talk about like hyper tactical from a sales rep. <clears throat> There's a way where you can put a prompt in and a prompt is just like a sentence or multiple sentence of instructions with, you know, personalization placeholders, you pop it in there and it gives you an output. So <clears throat> I've created one where like, here's a, a common occurrence. If, if you're going to sell to someone specifically a bigger company, You'll do research on the company, you look at their press releases, their logos, what they do, their positioning. You look at the letter from the CEO. You're really good. You look at the 10K report and look at the risks. And you look at the letter from the CEO and the annual report. You look at what are their top three to five objectives. And then you try and integrate those and mix those into that, right? So uh, that's what you need to do to be good and to differentiate yourself on a first appointment for a really big opportunity. So I've created a prompt with, with basically you type in one word. It pops in the entire prompt. And it gives you all that within maybe 30 seconds. Um, to do that manually, it would take 20, 30 minutes, right? And, and the funny thing is the 30-second version is a higher quality than the, you know, the uh, 20, 30-minute version, right? <laughs> so if you think about, like, that's just one micro example. There's a lot of these time piranhas that folks have that are sales reps uh, because there's so many different, like, tasks that you need to do. Right. It's it's kind of like the industrial revolution before we started creating, you know, um basically <laughs> combines in the field that harvest crops. It'd be like you're still handpicking a lot of the crops, right? And that still happens. <clears throat> if we go move over to the leadership perspective, then you know, something that I did is I created what's called the 20-minute sales award. And I, I did a post on this on LinkedIn. But effectively, what it is is I looked through and um I was on my way to Turks and Caicos for family trip this year. I had literally 20 minutes and I'm like, 
I had internet access. My kids both had their headphones on and watched a movie. Same with my wife. And I'm like, you know what? Hell, why don't I just see if I could do this in 20 minutes in less than 20 minutes, right? So what I did is I built out a sales org. And how I did it was I said, effectively, um, this is more of like a deep workflow process, right? So I gave you my, like a micro example of like, yeah. like arbitraging time. And by doing that, you could free up 10 hours a week easily as a sales rep. Um, and then as a leader, I, what I, how I built it out is I said, okay, um, basically based on this revenue number, this number of reps, this is our deal size. And I give it, you know, a couple of the variables. I want you to build like a compensation plan for, you know, my team on this, mm -hmm. right? And I want 80% of the team to hit it. And so it's achievable and I want it, you know, to be focused that way. So it built out the comp plan, right? But I said, okay, awesome. You know, I refined it a little bit. I had to go back and forth with it, I think once. Um, and then I said, all right, I want you now to basically create a, um, a management or KPIs that I could track them on. Tell me what KPIs I need to track them on, on a monthly, quarterly, um, weekly basis and annual basis, right? Boom, did that. And I said, okay, awesome. I want you to now create a management structure so that I know when to meet with my team, what's the frequency for team meetings, individual meetings, all that. Create a schedule for me so that I could do this. Boom, it did that. And I said, all right, awesome. Now I want you to create a tech stack for under $1,500 for those four people on my team. Uh, create that. I, we're, we're basically trying to be cost effective. I have $1,500 budget. It's like, boom, I came back with um, a $400 tech stack a month. And it said, hey, I beat your, your request. And I also came up with a job description. And so that's an example of like going it from like a, that whole project would have taken like eight hours to do. If yeah. I would have done it manually and I literally just by understanding how to do it, I, I knocked it out in 20 minutes. Okay. Wow. So that's part two. Part three is creating a self-scaling organization. And so one of the things that I'm highly passionate about, and it's funny, uh, Amazon or AWS just released a skills report, an AI skills report on this late last year. We're early 24 right now. And one of the things they identified is there's a massive gap, massive, massive gap when it comes to AI skills out in the workforce. I think um, this is the, the interesting thing about this study is it was taken from employers and employees. So there's like 1400 companies and like 3,400 employees, right? Yeah. The companies or the employer side, I think it was close to 84% of them said, you know, they wanted effectively to train their team on AI, but they didn't know how to do it. They didn't know what was possible, right? Like they didn't know how to train them. And there were 79% of employees that said they wanted it. Yeah. Um, and because of that gap, they're saying, hey, if you're in sales and marketing, we will pay you 43% more if you have these skills. Okay, so just by getting a, you give yourself a 43% raise, make it 100K in, in base, you make 143K, right? So that's why I created like a sales AI accelerator that gives folks all these details so they don't have to like learn from scratch and they could effectively knock this whole thing out and be the top 1% of the 1% and by taking two hours of training right? And then two hours of implementation. So what you could create a self-scaling organization is if you basically enable your team to do it, you have like a prompt library or a prompt matrix is what I call, and then you innovate on top of it, right? So you, you have like a base foundation, you show them what's possible, you also learn what's possible, and then your team just starts to innovate on top of it. And then you have a system of record of all the AI innovation that's happening in your organization, yeah. and it'll allow you to keep scaling um, without adding people. So that's kind of what I look at is like a core formula of, of really taking things to the next level. Wow. 
And so when you look at that, logically, you, you think, well, there's a there's a bucket load of time that can be uh, saved, but that could be turned into like, revenue generation. Um, but also the skill set that you can bring, that, that creates a differentiation in the marketplace. Because you mentioned before that maybe the bottom third of salespeople eventually may be replaced by AI. And mm-hmm. is that a function of them not being upskilled in what AI um, can provide them in terms of an enabler? Or is it the fact that just simply they, they're eventually going to be replaced anyway? Well, here's what I think it is. I think so 75% of buyers don't want to work with salespeople anyways, right? And I, I think a big reason for that is because they're really bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they, they suck, right? And, and like I, I've been at this stage where I haven't been really good. <clears throat> I think that's one variable to it. The other variable is that if you look at it, the bottom of the let's say the, um, the the contract value stage. So if you're dealing with really low dollar amounts, the automated customer experience is gonna get so good that there's no need for a salesperson because mm-hmm. they're, they're A, they don't wanna deal with a salesperson. B, if it's a smaller dollar amount, they're gonna be comfortable doing it by themselves. So they don't have to interact with seven different people to make a decision, right? And yeah. so I think, I think those are the two reasons why there's gonna be a lot of people that get axed um, also, at the same time, you know, if you look at maybe there's three variables, look at the same time where there's people that are using AI and, and to sell and in their job and there's people that are not like I think there's going to be situations where you're going to have like a 29 year old sales manager who's just like totally dialed in with it, knows how to use it. And he will be running circles or she around a 40 year old sales manager with 10 more years experience. And it's not going to matter what their background is or what they've done because this person is so much more efficient and dialed in with what they're doing because this doesn't just scale you from like a tactical perspective. This could scale you intellectually and strategically as well. And so that's where it's a leveler for people with with a lack of experience. But if you're a top performer, there's also seen studies where it basically two or three X is a top performer too. So there's opportunities everywhere. I mean, there's there's everywhere. It's 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 on the ground. And is that the the two or three X, the top performer, is that because they're dialed in and they use that more strategically because it accelerates the fact they're really good anyway and it's just fast tracks that? Or or is there something different that 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 makes that happen? Yeah, I think there's a lot of, I mean, so there's a study done by Harvard University and BCG Consulting. And they effectively identified that there's there's three core outcomes. They they looked at 400 basically consultants that had ChatGPT to use and 400 that did not. Okay, they did not give the ones that did any single training at all. The mm-hmm. ones that did use it had 40% higher quality. They had they got it done in 75% of the time. The work and this was duplicate work or duplicative, yep. right? Whatever you want to say, right? It was the same exact thing. And then they also got 12% more tasks done. So you're like, ah, yeah, whatever, Ryan, that doesn't seem like a big deal. You know, these are percentages thrown around. If you stack those up, that that from that alone, basically the group that used it was 200% more, they got 200% better results than, than the group that did not, right? Yeah, yeah. So like, that's a simple example. So I, and it, why I bring that as a example is because a top performer would emulate a consultant that requires a master's to be able to have the job. So these are, these aren't like dumb people by any means. They're they're very they're very curated in terms of who has to get that job. And there's a high bar. 
So if you look at that, you know, this was this was apples to apples with all people mm -hmm. like that. So um, MIT has also done a study where they've seen the two to three X. So it could be through those lenses. Um, and like I said, it could be quality, speed and time are like kind of the three things you look at. Because as you're talking, I'm, I'm just thinking about some of the um, some of the what do I what do I call them? The pessimists out there, right? <laughs> all the glass half empty type people that are saying, well, Ryan, this is all well and good. What you're saying is we can have a like a an artificial intelligence engine do proposals for me, run a sales campaign, put a sales strategy together, give me a methodology, give me a compensation plan. Doesn't that remove the need to have a human being thinking? So is that is that now a form of laziness? So does it for the for the for the pessimists out there who might be thinking, well, this is going to take over the world. And is the work that's actually being produced coming from a human being, right? What do we say to those people? Because as you've just alluded to, all the consultants that you got master's degree, you can use AI to enhance your, I guess, your reputation, your performance. What do we say to those people who are saying, well, hang on, if you do a proposal, for example, and it's all AI written, when the organization starts asking questions and you have to do a stand-up presentation, Where's the knowledge sit? Does it sit within the sales leader? Does it sit within the sales team? Or is it always sitting within the AI engine? And therefore, is it real? Yeah, it sits in both, right? So like if you like if you just put garbage in, you're gonna get garbage out, right? So if you effectively give it crap, it's gonna spit crap out. <laughs> you know what I mean? So uh if if you look at where I think it's going like the most and then Amazon backs this too with their skills report is that effectively what what you're looking at is the most critical skills are they look at the top three AI skills that are most critical over the next four years are critical reasoning and thinking I'm yep. sorry critical reasoning thinking basically the ability to innovate and, and be creative and then number three was coding Right. So if you, you are technical coding. Yeah. So like the, the highest skill or the most critical skills is think about it. We're now starting to have machines that could basically for pennies on the dollar right now, this is going to change probably, but effectively do a lot of the tactical work for you or even give you new skills you don't have. So the people that are going to be the most successful are, are those that have the ability to either string these tools together, create new concepts to use these tools. Um, and also understand like what's a good output actually look like, yeah. right? So I think those are some of the things. And yeah, if you, if you just like, it, it's kind of like with, um, it, this is an oversimplified version of it, but it's it's just like, if you, you know, yeah, you got automation with an outbound email sequencer and you just use the templates and there's no customization, then all you're gonna do is make a lot of people mad and not look very intelligent, right? And there's ways where you can do that with AI as well. You know what I mean? But however, I, I think if we look at those comparisons, AI is probably like 10 levels beyond that. Yeah. But you just gotta know how to use it the right way. Yeah. That's all. And I think that's the key thing, knowing how to use it and and still bringing your own thinking into it um, and using it to enhance what it is you're trying to provide to the marketplace. Well, can, can I get more specific too? Because I, I, I was thinking about this too. When I say I, AI right now, what I am referring to is there's like, 10 trillion tools out there of AI tools, right? <clears throat> and I'm, I'm being sarcastic-ish, right? There's not that many, but um, there's, 
when I say AI, I mean the large language models. So I mean like ChatGPT, I mean like Google Bard, I mean Claude. And the reason why I mean those is because those are the foundation that 95% of these tools are built on, that everybody's releasing. So if you understand the foundational models that everything else is built on, then you don't need a lot of the tools that are out there, Mm -hmm. right? So you could effectively, if you just understand how to use it, you could effectively have three, $4,000 worth of amazing tools for $20 a month. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so like that's that's where the unique opportunity is. It's never existed before because the cost is right now come down effectively to zero. Now, I'm sure there's siphoning data off of everything that you do. Right. So you definitely want to be careful with what you put in there. Um, but there is it's a really, really unique opportunity mm. uh, that that's available right now to anybody who wants to take it. Yeah. Love it. Love it. So as we sort of look forward then 2024, um, what are some of the things that A, you're looking forward to, but also as sales leaders, as organizations, but also as salespeople, we need to be not so much wary of, but just conscious of in terms of 2024 in relation to AI? Yeah. So there's a few things I'm looking forward to. And uh, I mean, there's a, there's a lot. I mean, it's it's an exciting time. And I think like for this year, like what what's going to happen, and I'm I'm like very convinced of this. There's a couple of things that that I'm have a very very high degree of certainty it's going to happen. One is effectively there's going to be more releases of agents, and so what agents are is think of it as right now if you use like ChatGPT, it's uh, like having a single conversation in a thread that works. So what's going to happen is from all the training these companies are doing with these models, they're going to have what's called agents. And so that might be different AIs that are working together to complete a task. So you can identify the outcome and then that task, all those tasks to create that outcome will be done for you. An example of this is like, there's one that was released last year. It was open source called AutoGPT. And basically what it did is it enabled you to um, create software and the agents effectively were multiple versions of roles within a software organization from quality assurance to product, to coding, to management. And basically you would give it commands and it would go through like basically almost like its own little digital factory to create that. So I think those are gonna become more prevalent. That's one, I think I think video is gonna be where, where graphics were at the end of 23, right? You look at, like I was saying, Dolly in, in late 22, early 23, not very impressive, right? Mid-journey yeah. was, was pretty solid even back then, but they came such a long way in 12 months. Same thing's going to happen with video. You got Pika Labs out there. You got Runway ML doing some really cool things in there. And we're in the infancy stage of that. So that's the second one. And then, you know, three is like, I see people finally embracing this and you know 2023 was the year of companies integrating ai into their product and mm-hmm. that's going to continue but now i think 2024 is going to be the year of a- integrating ai into your people and mm-hmm. and that's what like i think my mission is to help people become superhuman so that they don't get run over by this movement and they they could be you know on the forefront of it and and really protect their future and what they're doing so that's on what i'm looking forward to what I'm concerned about, I believe was your other question, right? Like, yeah. what am I concerned about or what? Like, 
I think um, there's a lot of different things that are coming out that I'm concerned about the violation of people's privacy, right? Like there's some, there was this, I can't remember what it was called, but basically it was a pin that you put on your lapel or whatever you're wearing, right? I think it was unisex. So it didn't have to be for a man. It could be for a woman. And effectively it recorded your entire conversation and videoed everything, every interaction that you had, right? Like this is not cool. I mean, you're, you're like, you could be talking to someone and they think they have a private conversation and and then, and that all that's used in their training data. And so there's situations like that where just like, you know, it's kind of like when I was in college, there wasn't, (laughs) there was an iPhones and and stuff and people didn't record everything you do. Like, I hope that doesn't like continue to exasperate itself and get worse and worse. And people's privacy is goes down to like zero, you know? So that's, that's what I'm concerned about with some of this stuff. It's like the um, 2024 version of the Truman show. We'll literally be walking around. There'll be cameras everywhere that just follow your every move. Exactly. Exactly, man. Like, that's not cool. Like, I think there's, there's stuff that's in public and there's stuff that should be in private and everything doesn't need to be recorded. And and we still need to have like, you know, our private lives and our public lives. Right. And, and yeah, absolutely. But anyways, that's just something that comes to mind as you bring that up. Yeah. No, cool. Good to know. So I think as we wrap up, I reckon that's a, um, <clears throat> that's a good way to, to wrap it because 2024 promises to be a, well, another challenging year for a lot of people, but a, a very interesting year as well. And I think we can incorporate and get to use AI in a more effective way. And even if it's just cutting down time on your ability to get access to the key people, your referrals, or help you with your sales process, it's going to enhance your ability to be more effective in the marketplace, which has to be a good thing. So um, the key message there is use it for good, not for evil. So true. So true. So um, Ryan, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Where can people learn a little bit more, more about you what you're doing and connect with you. Yeah. So I have like everything on my website, ryanstaley.io. It's R-Y-A-N-S-T-A-L-E-Y.io. You know, maybe I, I could share um, if you're cool with it, the basically that link to my sales AI accelerator in the show notes. And basically I give away nine free AI resources of like cheat sheets, tools, like, workflow cases, everything. So if you want that, I, I can include that in there um, cool. just for trialing it and checking it out. Oh, good, mate. And LinkedIn as well, because you and I are now connected on LinkedIn. So there's another- Yeah, LinkedIn, I publish daily. And then, you know, if you want to hear another podcast, um, The Scale Up Show, right? Like, obviously, Darren's got a, a great show and and um, I love podcasting as well. It's so much fun. You meet amazing people. So, um, so yeah, so those are the best ways to connect with me. Fantastic. Well, I'll put all those in the show notes. And um, again, thank you so much for taking the time on a Tuesday afternoon in Illinois with the snow coming from all angles, jumping on the podcast, mate. Greatly appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Aaron. All the best. Thank you for listening to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast. I trust the information in this episode has been helpful in your journey towards becoming exceptional. And remember, please take the time to rate the show, subscribe to the show so other people can find it. But also, if I can help you, jump on my calendar, go to leadwithdarren.com and let's have a conversation about how I can help you along your journey to being exceptional.